All right. Man, it is great to be here. I am Jeff Thompson. I'm your host for the Great Commission Baptist Association's Partners in the Gospel podcast, and I am thrilled today to have Kyle Elmore, our newest pastor. In fact, first Sunday was last Sunday at Glendale Baptist Church with us today. Kyle, man, welcome, and how's it going? Uh, it's good to be here. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, things are going well. Just getting started, so uh, figuring some things out as we go, but excited for where the Lord is leading me and my family at the moment. Well, man, that the uh, uh, some guys are not going to know. Go ahead and share with us. Family, how's Amber doing? How's the family doing? Where's everybody at? Who do you have? Yeah, we're doing great. Uh, Amber is, is is doing good. She's making the transition. of. Uh, we're trying to sell a house, and so we're trying to set up a new house, and, and she's working full-time as well. So Amber's doing good. Got got the four kids, um, Brooklyn, who is 15, Addison, 12, Malachi, 6, and our baby girl, Ryan, who is 2. Um, Brooklyn just got back from a trip to the Grand Canyon, so she's All on right. top of the world. Um, and the rest of us, while she was at the Grand Canyon, was passing around a stomach bug, but we're all on the mend and doing well. So things are going good. Life is. Life is going good. How long, how long have you and Amber been married? We have been married. Oh, my goodness. We have been married for 17 years this year. Wow. Okay, now, now you, you said we're trying to sell a house. The reality is you sold your house in 14 hours. You're trying yes. to figure out how to close in two weeks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, which, is, uh, which is amazing. Out of curiosity, how many homes – have you and Amber, how many houses have you and Amber made home in? We have been in, we started out uh, a little, I wouldn't even call it a single wide trailer because it didn't have a functioning <laughs> bathroom. It's more like an RV. So uh, you started with an outhouse? Yeah, started oh, with an wow. outhouse in her mom's backyard for the first couple of months of marriage while we were building our first house. Uh, we were there for 15 years, and then we've been in the one we just sold for two. So only okay. Let's two be clear. Houses and a you were you were in the house you built for 15 years, not the single wide trailer. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yes. And uh, and then the house you're in now, and then you moved. So right. so you've been pretty stable. Pretty stable. Yeah. All right. Well, man, give us the uh, give us the short history of Kyla Elmore. Like, where did you grow up? How did you come to Christ? Baptism, call to ministry, leadership, all that. Absolutely. Yeah. So I grew up in Mansfield, um, graduated from there. Amber and I both graduated from Mansfield High School. I went to First Baptist Church in Mansfield uh, under the leadership of, of Joel Faircloth. And that name would sound familiar to anyone who was uh, mm -hmm. in Mansfield in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, he was, was a great pastor, produced a lot of, of great um, members from that church. It's a great, loving church that has continued to grow. The state convention's full of people from Mansfield First yeah, Baptist. especially in that era. Yeah. Um, and so when I was there, around eight years old, he preached a message on a Sunday night. I can't tell you the message, but I can tell you I came home uh, and went to my room and called my mom in there and told her that I was a sinner in need of salvation. And so my mom led me, not in, in a prayer, but just led me in understanding what it meant to repent from sin. Um, and then I prayed then at eight years old to that the Lord would would forgive me of sin, allow me to repent of that sin, and to follow Him. Uh, began to uh, began to be discipled very very little um, growing up, uh, but was discipled some. And then around 13, felt a pretty strong call that maybe I was being called into ministry uh, after going to a to a camp. Well, we came back from that camp, and it was a Sunday night where we typically mm -hmm. have. Uh, the share night at a smaller church for all yeah. the kids share what happened at camp. 
So I have a brother who's four years older than me, and he got up and spoke first and shared of his calling to ministry. And then I have a cousin who's two years older than me. He got up and shared of his calling to ministry. And so uh, I reluctantly got up and shared uh, about a good time that I had and did not mention anything about feeling called to you ministry. You were determined. They right. weren't going to say you That's were right. just following Absolutely. big brother, big cousin, huh? Absolutely. Didn't want to be just another line in the, in the cog. And so... Uh, stayed away from saying anything about it, kind of knew, um, and then just kind of continued to, to attend church. Uh, again, probably should have sought discipleship more, uh, should have sought counsel more on things, and just kind of freelanced it for, for the most part and ran into typical teenage issues of, of doubt and concern with certain things. Um, then uh, family went through some some separation through divorce uh, my parents did when i was 17 caused some mm, that's hard some anger some frustration uh, misplaced towards the church um and towards the lord but uh you know at, at 17 your judgment's not real clear no. <laughs> so um had some misplaced anger that caused me to to kind of step back from things um and so i went off to college um didn't seem like I, I really had any direction because I was living outside of what the Lord had for me. Um, decided to, to quit college and go into the workforce. Um, had a great job uh, here in the Fort Smith area uh, in construction and worked there um, for 10 years. I uh, got married, started having kids, establishing a family. And at 28 years old, um, sitting behind my desk, uh, working in this construction company, the Lord really impressed in my heart more and more that even though I had everything through this job and through family that the world had to offer, the emptiness I was feeling was because of my avoidance of what he has called me to do. And so I began to talk with my wife about uh, a calling that I had earlier in life and explaining to her that it was time for me to fully surrender to the Lord and stop playing games. And so I did that and started taking some classes online um, and then started meeting with uh, my current pastor at Greenwood First Baptist Church at the time, uh, Ronnie Deal. And so we started meeting and talking about ministry and what that looked like uh, and then was able to uh, pretty, pretty soon after that uh, start helping on staff uh, there at Greenwood First Baptist in middle school and recreation ministry. And so that was my introduction into ministry. Um, Quit my, quit my job, went in full-time there at Greenwood First Baptist and was able to serve there for for eight years until now. Well, now, life. if I remember your story right, you're, you're telling that as if it was just this real clear and easy and no no risk to it. Yeah. You uh, you had one of those famous 6 a.m. meetings with Ronnie that kind of got pushed a little bit, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. So we we talked on, a, on occasion, and then he told me, uh, this was before we really established meetings um, on our Sunday nights when, when Greenwood was doing those, they had a different layman in the church where they would allow to preach. And so I told him about my calling to ministry, and he said, well, hey, why don't you come preach on a Sunday night? And I did, and he wasn't there. Uh, he didn't show up that night, but his wife did. And so he calls me after service and says, hey, my wife came home and was telling me uh, about uh, your, your message and and just sensing something different about you, uh, that the Lord could really could use you and was going to use you. And so he said, that's when he said, let's meet. And it was one of those 6 a.m. meetings before my work, and it was probably probably around lunchtime for Ronnie. Um, and so uh, he set up that meeting early in the morning. I was dreading it because I didn't know if I could get up that early. And the first week we were supposed to meet, something came up, and he wasn't able to meet. 
Uh, the next week we were supposed to meet, something came up again, and he called me and apologized and had to cancel the meeting, and I began to get frustrated thinking that yeah, this thinking, was never going to happen. Sure, he said I'm a great preacher, but now he didn't yeah, want to talk to me. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I began to get discouraged pretty quickly uh, about it. And then the third time that we were supposed to meet, uh, when we finally had met, that's whenever we met and started having the conversation about uh, calling to ministry. And, and I told him that you know I was 29 years old at the time, and I said, you know, I, I don't know that, that I can take off the seminary, put everything on hold with a family and everything. I'd love to be able to find a church to where I could develop in serving inside of the church in that way. And those three weeks of delays were actually the same time frame in which his current middle school uh, minister had resigned to go off to seminary. Mm-hmm. And so he had an opportunity, and he saw it as the Lord's direction. Um, and so he, he offered me the opportunity to join the staff there. Um, and so that was, yeah, I'm, my, my first story made it seem like it was a lot smoother and quicker of a transition, but it was uh, it was encouraging because where I got discouraged, I can look back now and recognize the hand of the Lord in all of it. Yeah, and he, uh, if I remember right, you you went to work kind of not sure if you'd just been offered the job or not, and you actually turned in your two weeks' notice and then correct, you yes. know, called and checked and said, Ronnie, did you really mean that? Yeah, I left, I left a meeting with him, and he said, Kyle, I really feel like this is the Lord's working, and I, I really feel like this is something that we should move forward in, and if you're ready, I, I think I'm ready, and... and uh, I said, absolutely, and I left, and my wife sent me a text and said, how did your meeting with, with Pastor Ronnie go? And I called her, and I said, I, th- I think I just got a job, so I have to go quit one. I'm not really sure. Um, <laughs> and then I got to work, and I went and, and sat down in my boss's office and said, hey, I'm putting in a two-weeks notice. I've had a church that's that's asking me to come and join the staff. And, and then after all that, it did. It hit me. I thought, man, I hope I heard him correctly. <laughs> so I called him back, and I said, hey, I know – the church has a process of hiring a minister. I said, um, but but we're pretty confident this is going to move through because I just quit my job, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> he he assured me that um, that he was he was offering that to me, uh, barring anything that yeah, was, was crazy, crazy, crazy happening. Yeah, yeah, that was great. Okay, so you're at Greenwood. Mm-hmm. You've been you worked in middle school. Your middle school two years, three yep. years, three years, yeah, three years, mm-hmm. and then uh, and then moved from there up in and get just kind of graduated with your kids in mm-hmm. the, into the youth ministry yes. and, um, and rolling. Mm-hmm. God's grown you in a lot of ways. I know you grew a lot just as you studied and prepared and worked with Ronnie and all that in, you did a little bit of online here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you took one of the ethics classes here. Mm-hmm. Now you're, if I'm remembering right, you've been talking to, um, um, DTS, right? Correct. Yeah. Starting DTS in the fall. Yeah. Um, only thing I have to wait on is, is passing an entrance exam. Um, we'll be doing that in the next couple of months. And then uh, in the fall semester, we'll start down at DTS. Absolutely. Yeah. And when we say start at DTS, we mean online start. You're not commuting to Dallas, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. So there's, they do have a campus in Northwest Arkansas where there might be an opportunity to do some intensive weekend stuff to, to speed up the process. But um, looking at taking, taking time, especially now that uh, in the pastorate, taking my time with that so that my main focus is on Glendale and pastoring there. And this is something that's just going to continue to give me uh, give me more understanding, knowledge, and capability. And so it's going to be something that's going to help me in the pastorate, not something I'm trying to uh, keep even or even try to put above at all. Well, I, we call this podcast Partners in the Gospel out of uh, Philippians and just talking about how uh, amazing that is. Think about and share. I know. I know you have a great heart 
for the lost and for discipleship. It can be it can be recent, it can be back into to initial, but but share a particularly memorable gospel conversation you've had up, away from the church campus. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so with all of this happened in the last you know year and a half with COVID and everything, um, back in the spring of last year when all churches were kind of shut down and and nobody was meeting, everything was online. Mm-hmm. Um, where I where I lived there in Greenwood. Um, it's kind of a unique little neighborhood. It was a collection of about 18 houses with no through roads, all cul-de-sacs at all kinds of ends there. And so a, a pretty tight-knit little neighborhood. Yeah, you're um, in a little compound. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so we, um, we made the decision. Actually, one of my neighbors came to me and said, uh, we'd really like to go out to the end of our driveway and have church um, where we can still keep our distance and be outside and, and still have some form of church. Um, now, we were still participating in the online services with all of our churches, um, but and, and we, we had every denomination you can probably think of in that neighborhood. And so they would all go and, and do their online church, and then we would meet on Sunday mornings outside and have our, our little neighborhood church. Um, it was really interesting because out of those 18 houses, there's probably only about three houses that didn't have somebody show up. And so... Uh, it gave me an opportunity. Um, we actually, my kids were friends with other kids in the neighborhood, and, and so those kids would come, but their parents would, would not. And it gave me a great opportunity to share with w- one of the fathers there in the neighborhood uh, why we were meeting and having church and, and what, what it meant to us as believers and why we were, were continuing that gathering even though uh, we couldn't in our, in our church bodies inside of uh, church buildings because of the things that were going on with covid and so just being able to share with him uh, our love for the Lord, and, and that led into a great gospel conversation that uh, I'm hoping um, that relationship will continue even though I'm moving. He's actually uh, going to be moving as well, I think. And so I would love to be able to continue those conversations with him. Uh, but that was, that was kind of the, the beginnings of it where, uh, again, we're, as man, we can get frustrated and say, look, all these things are being shut down and, it's going to hinder the Lord's work. It opened up a whole new avenue for the Lord yeah. to be able to work. All right. So this so this was a dad who I'm, I'm taking it was not church, he's not churched or a believer. Uh, from my understanding, he is not. He, he was very. Our conversations were pretty one sided. There was a lot of him yeah. listening um, and just kind of agreeing and being very kind. He was, he was a very kind man to listen to what I had to say. Uh, very kind to to be receptive of it. It wasn't confrontational in any way, uh, but he didn't divulge a whole lot of of his understanding and his side of things. And that's why my hope is that that relationship will continue uh, to be able to, to get to know him better in that way. Well, we will, we will pray for that one. All right. You, you had a, you had a very traditional Bible belt Baptist upbringing. Mm-hmm. You've had a chance now after a few years, whatever you came to ministry, you've been working with, with uh, youth middle school and then high school and you worked with collegians there for a while at, um, at Greenwood. What have you noticed, or what would you say, whenever we think about the gospel? Mm-hmm. Um, man, it pretty much uh, through, through the early part of the 80s, whenever you were a kid, mm-hmm. the gospel was pretty much making sure everybody understood that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. Just the mm-hmm. First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, the, the, the most important. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you're talking to, uh, to students, and to this kind of this current generation, what's the uh, what's the gospel conversation you have to have? How how wide and broad? What are the questions and the issues that 
their struggle within faith. Yeah, um, and what I've noticed with this with this current this Generation Z um, is maybe maybe when I was growing up, um, you know, we were we were taught the gospel, and then there were things that that slowly started to creep in, be added to that caused concern, and it was it was more about um, prosperity, if you will, or just you know um, making sure you were living a good life, morality, gospel based. Mm-hmm. Um, with this Generation Z, I, I don't see them having the same desire to um, to strive after the, the materialistic so much as the way that, that maybe a my generation did. Um, but what I do recognize with them is they really struggle to be um, to be needed, to be loved, to have a real authentic relationship. And so um, with them and sharing the gospel, it's helping them to understand that the relational aspect of the gospel, um, that, that it's not this legalistic understanding of as believers that we have to live a certain way because once we become believers we have to do these things but that because Christ did what he did for us we are allowed to live for him and so it's, it's a different connection from them uh, it also leads to a different uh, deception for them and so I think currently the, the biggest struggle with students is falling into this therapeutic gospel mm-hmm. um, the idea that their value is why God loves them and that that because of who they are, God loves them as opposed to understanding that their value is in the fact that God loves them. And so it's, it's yeah. a tricky thing for them to to understand this. The culture around them is, is based on them. It's a very me focused culture. And so it's, uh, you know, a motto that, or a phrase you hear a lot around students is, you know, you do you. Um, and so it's a self empowerment thing that they are. They're, they're looking for, and it, it thwarts the gospel a little bit because it makes the gospel about them and not about Christ. And so uh, really ministering to them and helping them understand that our only value comes in what's placed in us by Christ. And so that's where our value is. It's not in ourself. It's not as if God was in heaven and saw man and, and was so impressed with who humanity was that he had to leave heaven to come and rescue them for himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because of his love for us in our in our depravity, that he said, uh, my love for them will make them a thing of value. And so that's that's interesting how students are starting to connect in that way. And when they make that connection, when, when I've watched students realize that their value is in God's love for them, uh, it has broken down so many of these barriers of legalism and, and morality that were a hindrance before. Now is this, this desire and overflowing love to honor and live for the Lord because of what he has done for them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost as if um, this generation, not just students, but the generation as a whole, mm-hmm. sees themselves as, well, we're this great treasure diamond in the rough that God's lucky he's found, yeah. instead of saying, no, we're a lousy lump of coal, and until until God does something to change us, we have no no, no eternal. Absolutely. The... the um, the other thing I've noticed uh, that when I was growing up, uh, I imagine the same was probably true for you in Mansfield. There, there was an understanding, at least of the the broad strokes of of uh, faith or Judeo Christian understanding of the world and creation uh, that that is broken down. I know. I think it was um, Al Mohler, Bidman, another theologian I was reading, talked about the the great distinctions of of Genesis chapter one that. There's God, 
and he created man in his image, but there's a distinction between God and man. Mm -hmm. God is God and man is not. Mm -hmm. There's a distinction between man and creatures uh, and the rest of creation. Man, man is the, the pinnacle of creation, but he's that pinnacle to be a steward. And then there's the distinction of male and female created he them. There's man and woman. Well, in the current, especially the LGBT kind of climate and culture that goes around, those distinctions are broken down. And a lot of times the world looks at us whenever we talk about God is creator and he's created male and female and he gets to set the parameters of sexuality and those things <coughs> as, um, as hate, as, you know, you hate us. I remember it's probably been about, <coughs> about six years or so ago, I had a conversation with a young man who was um, working at the bank and um, took him for lunch. And he asked me, he said, man, you're a Christian. He said, I've got a question. Why do Christians hate gay people? Mm. And um, kind of took me aback because I thought, well, I, best I know, I haven't been hating anybody lately. What's the, what's the thing? And it, uh, and, and from his perspective, the the only sexual sin we didn't approve of was um, was homosexuality. And when I laid out just that idea that God has created and that anything, it, any sexual gratification outside of marriage was sin, was just sin, period. It was man trying to be God and uh, set the rules. I, I don't know that I... Uh, got away through but i do know that he he walked away realizing we're just saying we think this is best this is how god has created it to be and, and if you're in relationship with him this is how you'll you'll live but th that's a struggle for everybody at some level uh and we don't hate you we we love you and want the best for you it changed that it, have you noticed that as a as a theme that whenever we talk about just what we would take for granted as mm -hmm. creation and creation order being seen as hate today. Yeah, I, I definitely. There's been a lot of students who struggle um, with the with the rise of affirmation uh, of of homosexuality and things like that. Um, there are more and more students are identifying that way earlier, um, and so when that happens, these these kids that I, I've been around, their concern is how am I supposed to now treat my friend who has come out this way, mm -hmm. and their their concern is that is that they are, if they're Christian, it means they're supposed to be against them, uh, against their lifestyle, and how can they be against their lifestyle without being against them? And it's a real battle for them. Um, and it's it's a good battle for them to fight because we, we don't want to normalize or justify sexual sin, uh, but we also don't want to condemn someone eternally in the midst of their of their sin when there's repentance and salvation that covers all of those things, uh, and you and you said it correctly, um, you know we're we're quick to forgive uh, certain sexual immoralities if someone confesses, but uh, with something like homosexuality, if someone confesses that they struggle with it, most likely because if we haven't personally dealt with that type of sin, we don't understand it, and we think that it should be easy to cast aside or turn your back to, and it's easy to it's easy to cast judgment where you've never been tempted. Um, and so uh, I think learning to have grace towards people who struggle with sins that we've not identified or, or been tempted by, um, having grace to those people to understand that, that sin is sin regardless um, and that there is redemption and salvation for all sin. Uh, 
would help us a, a long way. And that's where I try to help students understand that uh, we don't ever affirm or, or go along with their sin, uh, but we also don't turn our backs on people because they're in sin, because then we have to turn our back on all people uh, because all people are sinners. And so uh, it's, it has been difficult for them uh, to, to have that connection of how can I continue to have a relationship um, and care about people who struggle with this sin that seemingly um, growing up has been so taboo or so so far gone that you have to just turn your back. And so I think it's something that the church in general is having to wrestle with here uh, in America because we need to understand how to love those who are in the midst of sin, not to affirm it, but to point them to something that is so much greater because we have to have our trust in the fact that if we can if we can show people who Christ genuinely is, that their love for Christ will supersede their desire for anything that is sinful, regardless of, of what it is. How, how do you see that playing out? Uh, one of the, a couple of the big words I've always heard is, you know, uh, acceptance and affirmation. And I, mm-hmm. and I think that today a lot of people get those two realities flipped. They think if you don't affirm me, you right. don't accept me. Uh, and probably acceptance is just saying, welcoming gracious you know mm-hmm. the when people say i'm not welcome at a church well i i know most of our churches and and i i can't say all but the vast majority they're going to welcome sinners even even sinners that are in messy sloppy ugly sin they're going to welcome them to come and to hear and to uh, to attend and be available but we believe in the believers church so to be a part of the church means that you've made a commitment to turn from sin and to follow Christ. Where, where do you see uh, going forward uh, whenever you're at Glendale, where do you see the distinction between welcoming sinners, Mm -hmm. but only affirming believers? How, how do we draw that line to say, yeah, there, there are some things that you cannot, be in, entangled in knowing that none of us are perfect and, and will never be this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. But how do we, how do we, how are we going to have to draw that line that we're not, that we're not approving of sin, mm-hmm. but we are being um, welcoming the sinners. Yeah. We actually, uh, we had that discussion uh, on Sunday night um, at our church. And so we started talking about being, making sure we're a welcoming church Um and, and one of the things that we talked about was people coming in with, with baggage. Um, we're in a, a small community, a small town where kind of everybody knows everybody's everything. Oh, yeah. And so um, we're going to have to kind of let some of those things aside uh, for the greater good, for the greater purpose of being able to share the gospel and point people to Jesus. So as far as welcoming, it doesn't matter what someone's lifestyle is or, or what situation they're in. When they come to a place of worship, um, if we are in the right mindset of worship as a people and we are looking to honor and love the Lord, then I think we're going to look the most like him um, in those moments. And, and when we look like him, we have to recognize what scripture says he looked like, which was eating with those and fellowshipping with those who were in sin so that he might be able to share the gospel, share the truth of who he was to them and, and show them that compassion. So we want to be compassionate and understanding that all people are sinners. Um, but that distinction that you're talking about, that line of, of when do we accept them into the church body, uh, I think has to go back to the, the same that we see in the biblical understanding of, of joining the, the church 
in general as far as becoming saved and becoming a part of the kingdom and the, and the brotherhood of Christ. And that is the repentance of sin that has to come first. And so if someone is, is in sin but unrepentant of sin, um, I think they can, they, can, they can attend the church. They can be in, in that type of fellowship, but they can't be in full fellowship with the church um, as a member unless there is repentance of sin. Now, we know that repentance doesn't mean perfection. And so repentance of sin doesn't mean that, that you live in perfection after that. Um, but if there is sin in your life that you are unwilling or unrepentant of, um, then there's a barrier before you can become a full fellowship member of the church and participate in that unity because without repentance of sin, then there is no salvation. And so um, when it comes to that line, I think you have to take that case by case. Um, it's difficult to, to put a, a marker down and say this is the case for everybody because some sin, uh, sins of, of sexual sin, like something like homosexuality, is visible to the world from the outside. Yeah. And then there's sins of lust and pornography um, that are not visible to the outside. And so it has to be case by case. And we have to trust the Lord um, in, in our discernment and in our conversations with people um, that he is going to be the one who's going to transform and help us to see how we can help those who are hurting and then he be the one who would lead them to that repentance. I know the um, that that is, and I think I think it's going to become a, a greater and greater issues we try to keep the church focused on the gospel and being the church heard on the news um the 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 catholic archbishop in san francisco this past um this past week uh published a uh, i don't know a, an edict a paper a, a policy for for the churches there and we would disagree on so many things but but for the catholic church they they withhold communion it's you you can or cannot present yourself for communion and uh, we'd have serious conversations and disagreements about about what communion is and um, transubstantiation all those kind of things mm -hmm. but uh, but he had made it specifically on um, the issue of abortion and support for abortion and and that going down and while we don't believe in transubstantiation or that there are any means of grace transmitted in the, the Lord's Supper for, for Baptists, that symbolism of the two great ordinances, baptism to, to symbolize that you've begun a life in Christ, and then the Lord's Supper to, to identify with the body of Christ that you're continuing to walk in fellowship with him. I, uh, uh, most churches, most pastors I know with me, the, 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 uh, I'm, I'm not standing or telling my deacons as they pass out the elements, now you slap this hand and don't slap this hand, but I do think it's important for us to be clear what, what is symbolized, and, and in 1 Corinthians, whenever the apostle Paul writes and says that, that we are to examine our own selves to see whether or not we're worthy, uh, man, that's a, that's a weighty, weighty line, but, uh, but too often we tell people, hey, examine yourself and don't give them any criteria. Uh, some will call it a, a, a fence or a gate, or, the, or, or they'll use different metaphors, but I've always... Uh, come to the Lord's table and told folks you need to know there's a time in your life when in repentance and faith you've trusted Christ that you've uh, that you've made that public in believers baptism scriptural baptism that you uh, uh, that you have no known unconfessed sin in your life and that to the best of, of your ability you don't have any 
fractured relationships where you have withheld forgiveness or not sought forgiveness whenever you know it's it's needed. So examine yourself in that, and if, if you're clear there, and uh, and I would say part of that that fellowship or reconciliation is, is being in fellowship with a uh, a New Testament church. So if that's the case, then then we you know then we'd invite you to participate. You agree with us. This is what communion's about. And if not, then you need to settle those things before you do that. That's probably that's kind of my my policy thing to say to folks. Look, as the church, this is something only the church does: the observing of, of communion, of, of of saying we're here. This is what we think you ought to check out. What uh, I know, you you probably haven't led a whole lot of Lord's suppers uh, thus far in your life, but when you think of that, of that, of people say, "Well, preacher, it says I'm supposed to examine myself. What do I need to check? What what criteria do you give people for examining themselves?" Yeah, well, I mean, pretty much along the lines of what you're saying, um, I, I make sure that they would understand that it would be, uh, this is for believers. Um, and so if, you, if you're unsure of that, um, then there's nothing about the Lord's Supper that is salvific. So there's nothing in that that's going to save you. So if you're unsure of your salvation, then not, not taking the Lord's Supper is, is not something that, um, if, you're, if you're unsure, it is going to cause issue in your relationship with the Lord. So, uh, but if you're taking it, knowing that you're an unbeliever, um, I believe that is, I believe that's sinful. If you know, um, the weight of it, because you understand scripture is saying that this is what uh, is done for believers. And so, um, making sure they understand that, that the Lord's Supper is for believers, making sure, as you said, that there's nothing that they are, they are harboring as far as sin or, or not being reconciled to others. Um, in that way, I, I went to a service. My brother um, is a pastor in, in Canada, and I, I joined him for a service a couple of years ago. And they were doing the Lord's Supper that week. And he, he said, um, you know, if you're a believer, whether you're a member or not, you're, you're welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. Um, and then he read those verses um, and then said, you know, if you're not a believer, we would ask that you would you would not partake in this. Or if you're a believer who's outside of the, the lines of reconciliation or harboring of sin, that you would repent first. And so uh, he gave them a moment there and then um, to, if it was harboring of sin, to, to repent of that sin in, in a time of prayer. And, and then, they, then they could partake in the Lord's Supper. Um, and then he said, even if you're a believer and you're not holding any un, unrepentant sin in your heart, but you have some uh, some reconciliation that needs to be done. Um, I would ask that you would not partake in the Lord's Supper now, but that you would leave the church when the service is over, go and be reconciled with which, whatever relationship you need to have reconciled, um, and then you can come back to me uh, this evening and and um, we'll do it together one on one together mm -hmm. in that moment. Um, and so understanding the weight of of taking the Lord's Supper. Um, think is important but that there has to be those parameters for people and help them to understand i do think uh, something that that is controversial to some um, would be with children mm -hmm. um, you know and, and so if you have your family with you in service uh, i have four kids uh, two are old enough to have fully understood conviction of sin repentance of sin and and have been saved by the lord um, and i have a six-year-old son who is who's just not quite fully understanding yeah, of those things. Right um, and so the last time we as a family were in service and took the Lord's Supper, it was a great moment for me to be able to look to him and say, son, someday I pray that the Lord is going to show you of your need for him 
and this is a way we honor back what he has done for us. And so I didn't let him take the Lord's Supper, um, where a lot of, of times I've heard people say, you know, if they're too young to know what's better, then you can allow them to do it if they're not doing anything wrong. Um, but the issue for me there is, is that I know. And so, yeah. and so I have to say, you know, this is something that is, this is something that is, that is sacred to the Lord. And so it was a great moment early on to teach my son that just because his family is a part of the church and just because his family are believers, he doesn't participate in all the things of the church until he comes to a place where the Lord has brought him into his full fellowship of understanding through salvation. And so, uh, I, I would withhold that. And so I would encourage parents the same way, um, when, whenever we take the Lord's Supper at Glendale for the first time together, I'll, I'll do just that. I'll encourage them. I, if you have children in here who, who are raised in church and, and they feel like that they should do this because mom and dad are doing it, just just take a moment right now and just explain to them what what this is and, and why someday our prayer is that they will join us in this communion. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the moment, it's not something that, that they are able to do. And it's not to, to withhold or lord it over them. And, and it's no reason to try to trick them into being saved that day so that they can have the communion elements with us, but uh, just the teaching of, of the yeah. depth of it. Yeah, yeah. that's the, the beauty of the ordinance is it, it, it describes the gospel in their minds. And <clears throat> for me, that's the, um, it's probably the reason why I've always used um, scriptural baptism as one of my markers because that, that lets people realize that it's not an inherited faith or an occasional, but it's an intentional, personal relationship that you've marked and this is this is how you celebrate that uh, that decision the uh, man gosh Kyle we could <laughs> you have a great theological mind and I know you love to talk about uh, deep stuff but I also know from Sunday you you're a big believer in expository preaching and in going down think about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a tough one when you think about scripture it could be a, a verse or a passage or it could be a book but but what is one of your favorite places to land in the Bible that are that shaped you? Yeah, I, I would say the Gospel of John, um, just because of the Christology in that book, the understanding of, of the deity of Christ and how well it is presented in that. Because I think that's where a lot of people uh, misunderstand Christianity and, and Christ. And so even people who culturally in the South grow up in church, um, I think they can get along with a lot of the things in Scripture, the moral teachings, all of those things. Um, but when it comes to Christ being God, um, they may they may affirm that with their mouth or, or even understand it in their mind. But to really have that change and permeate your heart, and I think the Gospel of John just does such a great job of, of explaining that Christ was more than just some great teacher. He was more than, than a rabbi. He was more than a, a moral man. That he was God in flesh, and when you allow that to, to change, I think that's such a great foundation. I always tell students when I was working with students, you know, if you have uh, you have difficulty reading scripture, if you don't have a solid place where you're in, start in the book of John and let that be your your step into everything else because it's so transformative and it's it's not it's not a book that is difficult to even read, uh, and the the way it's written is is easy to read, and so. Uh, for new believers, I think it's a great place to start because it's the foundational understanding of those things. Um, so I, I love there. Um, obviously, uh, the book of Romans is, is always great because it, it covers so many different things, and it does have places where we have to, to ponder and, and be, 
be stretched and wrestle with, and mm-hmm. it comes out with giving us a, a greater love for the Lord when we come to understanding of some of those things. But uh, I would say John is probably my, my beginning point um, and then would fold into other books after that. What's the um, – trying to roll around and land this plane, mm-hmm. the um, Partners in the Gospel, the Great Commission Baptist Association – our goal is to see a healthy Great Commission Baptist Church for every thousand households. When you when you think, not necessarily regardless of size, when you think of what is a healthy Great Commission Baptist Church, what are the what are the marks? What are the things that you evaluate to say that is a healthy church? Absolutely, yeah. So I've been thinking this way um, a lot lately, and I, I tell you, I've had the opportunity over the last year to watch uh, three of, of this, these college students that I've been, um, I've been with for years now and, and teaching and, and also just some one-on-one discipleship. Uh, and, and three of them are, are fixing to head off to uh, other areas of the world to go and do missions work. Uh, I have one, uh, one young man who lived with me for a while. Um, he's living in Indonesia doing some mission work right now. And I see nothing that is, that is more healthy a church than when we're able to send our best to others and so that's um, a great marker yeah to, to see a church that is strong enough in itself to know that it can take its best and send them out and continue to develop because the lord is the one who's developing in that church uh, i think it's a great marker if we're if we're scared to let uh, our best teachers and our, our our best leaders in the church go else elsewhere and serve um, i think there may be an underlying issue in there that we're dependent on those people for the church and we're not depending on the right thing. And so uh, a church that is, and this is something that I'm probably going to say a lot at Glendale because it's going to be my hope for us as a church there. Um, I want us to be a church that is able to grow and go. Um, and that's that's kind of the marker that I look for in a healthy church. One, that you see its members growing no matter their longevity inside of the church, um, whether they've were raised in church and they're a senior adult and they, they've been through the Bible multiple times and study. They're continually growing in their understanding of who God is, uh, but also a church that is going and, and taking that gospel, doing exactly what, what you asked and being part of the Great Commission. So to grow together and then to go together, uh, I think, is a great marker of a healthy church. It is, and that's incredibly biblical. You look at Antioch was the first church as they sent. I would say that Paul and Barnabas were two of their best. And we've looked, like you said, you grew up at Mansfield in a time and a season when they were, man, they were, they were bumper crops. There was about a decade there where they've sent out many, many, um, yourself included, that went out. All right. Well, man, it has been great. Last thing I want to ask you, as everyone's listening today, um, Kyle Elmore, and you're starting your second week as pastor at Glendale Baptist Church. How can your partners in the gospel pray for you and Glendale in this season? Absolutely, yeah. Um, we'll be praying for for Glendale. Um, one that we would be that that we would be a church that would reach its community. That we would uh, never become a church that becomes overly inwardly focused. There is definitely a need to be focused inwardly as a church, um, but it can't be isolated to that alone. Uh, I want us to be a missional, um, relational, loving church to the community around us. Um, and so you can pray that for us. We probably need to pray for patience for them as they are getting a first-time pastor who is who is going to stumble and fall his way through this. Um, but there are some outstanding people 
at Glendale that I know are, are going to be gracious because they love the Lord and they're going to, to walk with me through the season. Uh, for me, um, that I would that I would lead the church the way that I should as as a follower of Christ and not as as Kyle Elmore. Um, I don't ever want to lead out of my own ideas. I don't want to lead a church out of the understanding that I think I have things figured out, and so this is the direction we're going to take based on my opinion, um, but that I would be um, re- reminded and mindful of the fact that I am, I am a broken sinner who has been used by the Lord um, because of his graciousness and his goodness to me, and that I would, I would lead the church in that way, that I would lead humbly and never out of, out of arrogance uh, and for wisdom because uh, I understand the weight um, of the office of pastor. And so uh, I don't ever want to take that lightly. I don't ever want that to become normative to me that the Lord has allowed me to, to lead a church. Um, if I get comfortable with that, uh, I'm probably looking in the wrong direction. So just pray that I would, I would stay humble in it and that I would be led by the Lord in everything that I do. Do that. Let's, let me pray for you right now. Grace Heavenly Father, we come to you, and Lord, I want to lift Kyle up to you, and Amber, and the kids. Father, I thank you for for their lives, and Lord, for the way that you have shaped them, the way that you've grown them, matured them, prepared them for this moment. And Father, I want to thank you for Glendale Baptist Church, Lord, for her, her long history of being a church that loves her Savior, and that loves the saints that are gathered there, and that sees herself as a, as a family, a household of faith. And Father, I, I thank you for the way that you have brought Kyle and Glendale together. I do believe that it has been your, your hand that has shaped and moved them. Father, I just pray, especially these, these first, first several months, Lord, I pray you grow them together. Give Kyle patience, Lord. There are so many things that uh, that will clamor for his time and his attention. Lord, help him to stay focused on you and equipping the saints to grow closer to you every single day. And Father, I pray that in that in all that, that Glendale does, and both in how he preaches and how he leads and how he ministers and pastors during the week, Lord, that Jesus Christ will be lifted up. And Lord, that as he is lifted up, he'll draw men and women, boys and girls to himself. Father, we ask that for your glory. Lord, we thank you for this incredible partnership you allow us to share in. In the name of Jesus, amen.